I do think that as long as the programs continue as as they're going now, and as long as these refugees actually stay in Germany, um, they'll be able to be a, a boon to the economy. Hello, this is Thanasi Kambanis, and welcome to episode 20 of the TCF World Podcast. I'm joined by Lily Hindi, a doctoral candidate at, the, at UCLA and a former uh, policy associate here at the Century Foundation. Lily is in Los Angeles. Hi, Lily. Hi, Thanasi. We're here today to talk about a fantastic report that Lily wrote uh, that has a lot of implications for U.S. policy and also for immigration policy worldwide. Uh, she took a look at an in-depth look at how Germany uh, is doing uh, several years into its effort to integrate the million Syrian refugees it admitted uh, during that major um, movement of, of, uh, of refugees some years back. Uh, Lily, tell us uh, to, to start with what you actually did uh, to, to research this report. So I went to Germany in March of this year and visited three cities. I started in Berlin and spent about a week there. And then we went down to Würzburg in Bavaria, which is a small city, and then on to Kaufbeuren, which is an even smaller town. And we started in Berlin because it's the capital. Um, it's taken in uh, many refugees. And then we went on to Bavaria because Bavaria is the southernmost province and it's where most of the refugees actually entered in the first place. And Bavaria is one of the wealthiest provinces. It's an industrial powerhouse. Um, Siemens, Audi, Adidas are all based there. And a lot of the vocational school tra training is happening down in Bavaria. All right. So, in, and in a minute, I want to ask you some more questions about uh, Bavaria specifically and the and the vocational training uh, program there. But but before we we get into the the details, uh, the the big question that that I think you were trying trying to get a piece of the answer to is how on earth does a wealthy developed society cope? Uh, with such a huge one-time influx? Because we're, we're not just talking about a million uh, Syrian refugees. We're talking, I guess, at, at the time, nearly a million and a half people total came into the country and they came in all at once within like a six-month period of time, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so you were trying to find out in the aftermath of this, almost three years later, what uh, uh, what does that look like? And uh, give us your sort of top-line assessment. I mean, you know, social tensions, economic costs, political fallout. How is this project going for Germany and for the newcomers? Well, it's a huge undertaking, and I was extremely impressed at how the both the Germans who are welcoming this population and the refugees themselves, at what an effort they've all put into making this a success. Uh, the Germans have approached it in a very systematic way. There's a partnership between the federal government and the state governments and the local level and civil society as well, you know, volunteers. And then the refugees themselves are also very well connected through um, existing communities in inside of Germany. In Berlin, there's a big Arab and Turkish community. Um, 
and through Facebook, through networks, um, they've they've created a number of nonprofits themselves to help each other out and to navigate the German process. Um, German media outlets have a ton of instructional videos about how to navigate anything from going to find a doctor for your children to how to rent an apartment, what it means to own uh, to rent an apartment in Germany, um, how to go grocery shopping. There's integration classes where they're teaching people the language. Um, so there, there have been a, a lot of initiatives. It's not at all an ad hoc process. It's, it's very systematic and it's, it's um, a lot of effort by a lot of different groups of people. So I guess the, uh, the, one of the central aspects of, of what you document is an incredibly uh, well-coordinated effort. So as we'll, as we'll hear in this conversation, there are lots of bumps along the road and, and various areas of tension. Uh, but what the Germans seem to have done really well is coordinate across all the different levels of government, state, local, national, and, and really bring NGOs, civil society into the picture uh, and have used this to problem solve pretty creatively when things have come up. So the, the, and the other thing that's interesting to me about the German approach, is, as you write about it, is that uh, they welcomed all these newcomers partly on moral grounds. It's the right thing to do. It's the, uh, the, 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 the genuine liberal uh, way. Uh, but also there was an, a naked appeal to self-interest that, uh, that in fact, according to Can Chancellor Angela Merkel, that this would be good uh, for Germany's economy. So is is that uh, is that panning out? I mean, is this is this actually helping helping Germany's industrial base? Is it giving them an influx of young people and workers that's going to inject new vitality into their into their economic life? Well, at this point, it's still too early to to tell. It hasn't been very long, but there there is a hope that the refugees that have come in will fill the labor shortage that there is in Germany. Um, as across Europe, there's a falling birth rate in Germany. There are fewer people entering the vocational school programs going into these industrial sectors than there have been in the past. So they're really putting a lot of, um, a lot of hope on the refugee community to help fill that. But it will take time. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say let's let's pause for a minute to to listen to one of the audio clips you you collected. Uh, this is from am I saying this right? The the France Auberture Professional School. Uh, we're going to listen to to a clip from the headmaster there. Uh, so let's let's roll that. They desperately need people, um, personnel, but most of those asylum seekers or the refugees are not ready. Not really ready. I mean, that language is still a problem. And also, they do not have the, the skills, but there would be an option if they could improve their language skills. You can find jobs without being a skilled or qualified worker, yeah, yeah. but then it's not, not very well paid. So it's definitely better if you get some kind of a qualification. We have the first refugees in the dual system, but we don't know how successfully they can complete it and if they then... Aber wir hätten ein größeres Problem, wenn wir dieses nicht tun würden, weil sonst ein, ein Reservoir, ein, 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 
Wie nennt man es? Aber ich denke, es ist ein gutes Investment, weil wir mehr Probleme hätten, wenn wir das nicht machen würden. Also wir denken, es ist besser, das zu machen, als nichts zu machen und dann viele, viele Menschen hier leben, ohne Integration und keine Jobopportunitäten at all. Ja. Also, wir denken, es ist wert, in the end. So, Lily, uh, we just heard, heard uh, the headmaster of the school uh, talking about uh, Germany's la labor shortage. What, what, do you make of, uh, what do you make of this kind of uh, sort of checkered assessment that on the one hand they need, they need new, new workers and on the other hand that, that the, uh, the, new, the new refugees really aren't yet up to, uh, up to the level needed by, by hiring uh, uh, employers? Well, as... The, the woman that you hear in the clip is an English teacher at this vocational school. She's translating for the headmaster, Uwe Tuchku. And as, as he said, uh, they believe that it's a really good investment what they're doing now, even if it will take years to see the benefits that, these, that this population will bring to the economy of Germany. Um, They, what I heard from both Germans and refugees is that they need to spend these two, three years in school in order to get their language up to snuff. What I heard from employers is that their language is nowhere near, near at the level that they need it to be right now. Uh, refugee unemployment now hovers at around 40%. So it's still, you know, the numbers are still not reflecting what they want them to reflect. But they do have these these teenagers and people up to in their late 20s. Uh, they're teaching them German, basic German. They're also teaching them the technical languages. They have them working on the latest BMW models. They're teaching them um, culinary skills. They're teaching them, you know, the things that they need to put them into these factories. So I, I do think that as long as the programs continue as as they're going now. And as long as these refugees actually stay in Germany, um, they'll be able to be a, a boon to the economy. It's a big gamble, right? And the, uh, I mean, one of the differences between Germany and the United States, I mean, there are lots of differences, of course. One of the biggest differences is that uh, Germany has a low birth rate. And so there's a sort of universal agreement that uh, that it's necessary to find ways to increase the population. Uh, and that creates at least some shared basis for bringing in migrants, uh, even among uh, parties that, that, that might otherwise uh, not agree. Uh, the flip side, of course, is Uh, the tensions that are created when you have this new uh, potential labor force coming in and then it becomes clear that uh, that that they're not uh, yet re ready for for seamless integration into Germany's workforce. Uh, and I'm wondering, I mean, so here we're talking about potential uh, factory workers in, in, in car plants. Uh, but I'm wondering if you if you learn anything about uh other like white collar professions. I, I mean, I remember lots of Syrian doctors uh, I, I met in Syria um, and in Lebanon who were on their way to Germany, and they were optimistic that they would be able to, to somehow find a way to practice, continue their training or, or further their training and then practice medicine. 
are people with professional backgrounds like that able uh, uh, to, to, to join their sectors or are they ending up in these kinds of uh, vocational jobs as well? Yeah, so this was a criticism that I heard from, from a number of very well-educated Syrians and uh, Syrians entering Germany are more well-educated than other refugee groups. Um, one thing that we can bring in a clip from Asim, who is a 28-year-old who just got his master's degree in urban planning from a university in Berlin. Um, he's very critical of the fact that the Germans are not accepting previous qualifications. The German system is very specific about which degrees and which qualifications you need to have in, in order to enter certain professions. And for many Syrians whose homes were destroyed in the war and who had to flee quickly and weren't able to, you know, collect all of their school records, they're not able to prove these things. So, so I spoke to a number of people who had professions back home that they're not able to do now that they're in Germany because they, they can't prove it and the, everyone's critical of the German bureaucracy. There's no way around it. It's, it's not, you're not able to just pay someone to make your way in. Um, so we can listen to that clip from Awesome. It is always a one-way conversation. It's not really a conversation. You just tell them what to do and what to be. You have to speak German. You have to go to this school. You have to do this and this and this and this to be able to succeed here. But I have never seen a person who is using his abilities that he already has. They, a lot of people don't want to lose what they already have. Like people already have a personality. You don't need to, to wash it to become fitting for the society here. Well, Lily, that's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty damning uh, uh, criticism of, uh, of Germany. And I guess it speaks to the, uh, the really persistent social tensions that are, I guess, inevitable when you have such a, a, a major, uh, a major change virtually overnight. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, one thing that I, that I've heard from a lot of people, including Turkish, some of the Turkish residents of Germany, uh, that have been there for years is that Germany is trying to learn from past mistakes. They had a huge influx of guest workers from Turkey in the 1960s, and they didn't give them any of any of the language skills or technical skills. They kind of assumed they would come and then go back home, but they've actually stayed. Turks are now the largest um, foreign population living in, in Germany today. So they're, you know, yeah, it's it's there's both sides to the story. They're trying to fix past mistakes. They're trying to make an effort here, but at the same time, Syrians coming in with previous experience are not able to use it, um, you know, no matter how hard they try, and that's frustrating. And I'm sure for many Syrians, that makes them wonder whether they want to continue their lives in Germany, whether it's worth it. We'll talk more about these uh, social tensions and the, the problems of assimilation after the break. Order from Ashes, New Foundations for Security in the Middle East is a multi-year TCF project supported by the Carnegie Corporation of New York. TCF experts are studying new ways to manage conflict and promote stability 
You can order the book and read the reports on our website. Go to tcf.org and look for the Arab Regional Security page. This is Thanasi Kambanis on the TCF World Podcast, Episode 20. I'm joined uh, by Lily Hindi at UCLA and a former colleague here at the Centuries Foundation. Uh, Lily, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast and welcome back. Thanks. Good to be with you. So we were talking about, uh, we had just listened to this clip from Asim and we were talking about the, the, the problems of how to conceive this, what, you know, whether you uh, uh, try as Germany did in the past to uh, sort of build a wall around refugee communities or, or whether you try as they're doing now to almost very heavy handedly socially engineer a, a, an extreme assimilation uh, project. Um, and these are both slightly different variations of the American model of immigration, at least back when we uh, when we welcomed immigrants uh, not so long ago. Uh, uh, How, I mean, like, where does this, where does this sit on the spectrum? Where does Germany's effort sit on the spectrum of of assimilation or, uh, you know, the the, the melting pot or the, what's the other, the the mosaic approach or whether it's the, 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 the the ghettoizing of of the past? Like where, how would you, how, where would you say they, they, they fit this, their approach today? Well, so since you brought up ghettoizing, they they have made a a big effort. So across the board, the the federal approach is to um, place refugees throughout the entire country. So there there's a calculation that they have, of course, um, based on the the tax revenue in each province and and on the population. And they're trying to disperse them throughout based on this these calculations. Now, there have been problems because East Germany, um, where there have been protests throughout this week, you may have seen they've gotten some international attention, anti-immigrant protests, because there was a German... This is the end, the end of August we're talking about these protests. Yeah. There was a German um, who was stabbed and an Iraqi and a Syrian have been arrested. So there's a lot of anti-migrant sentiment. Um, One of the owners of a brand new halal market that I spoke to in Kaufbeuren, when he arrived in Germany, he was placed in Leipzig, which is in East Germany. And he said the racism was terrible. He didn't feel welcome at all, he and his family. So they applied to be relocated to Kaufbeuren, which is in Bavaria. It's one of the towns that I visited. Um, so there, there is an attempt, there has been an attempt by the federal government to avoid that and to, to really make, like, like I said in the beginning, it's a really systematic effort to, to avoid ghettoization and to, uh, to assimilate the community. But there is certainly local opposition. And we've seen lots of re- reports that, that try to link the rise of or an increase in popularity in the far right to this uh, uh, influx of immigrants. Let's uh, listen to this clip from Wafa Farouk and her kids uh, talking about the racism they've encountered in their during their housing search. First, it was hard. A new environment, new language, communicating with doctors, with places. I mean, there was a real difficulty with these things. 
Most places we went to, they didn't speak English, and we spoke a little bit. But now that I'm taking the German course, things have improved a little bit. It's easier. But the problem here is the apartments. Some people don't want to give apartments to refugees. They're afraid. There are people now who are afraid of refugees. No one can blame them. One person can give a bad impression about them all. The youngest one, three years old, next year she'll go to school. The older one is in kindergarten. In the beginning she would cry a lot. She didn't understand anything. Everyone was speaking in German. It was really hard for her. After a month or two months, she started to understand them. Then she started to love school. So Lily, what uh, did you see during your, your travels through Germany? Is this kind of, of treatment or mistreatment of, of uh, new immigrants widespread? Yeah, so I won't make a generalization, but based on the interviews that I did, the people that I spoke with, there is certainly discrimination against refugees in renting apartments. Um, as Wafat said, people generalize based on something they've heard about, something that one Syrian did. Um, and at the same time, there's a family that um, that I met, which is Klaus and Susan Silverberger, who invited a refugee family to come into their home and share their home with them. They rented out rooms to them. And um, they all have kind of become a happy family. Actually, I, I spoke with um, Sausan, the woman. They're from Kobane. They're a Kurdish family from Kobane in Syria. And they've actually moved out. But uh, while, while they were there, you know, they, I mean, they didn't, they didn't feel any discrimination from the local population. That's what they said. But then another family that I spoke with that I think we'll, maybe we'll hear a clip from them later on, Abdul Rahman and Noura Al-Zaghair, they are renting from a Turkish landlord in Kaufboyren. And they also said they had been living in temporary refugee housing like Wafat and her children. And they had a really hard time finding an apartment until they met a Turkish landlord who said, you know, you you're, look like a good Muslim family. We have a room to rent. And um, they rented it to them. As well, the halal market um, owners, they're renting from a Turkish landlord as well. So, I mean, it's interesting. It's, it seems like there's a fair amount of friction in this experiment, even, even at the, if you look as you did very granularly. Uh, and I guess this is not that different than patterns of, of migration elsewhere where new newcomers end up moving into uh, marginal areas or transitional areas or uh, areas with older, older line uh, immigrant communities that end up in many cases being more welcoming uh, than, than other more established uh, communities. Uh, and, you know this the sort of tension one of the tensions that you you have really spotlighted in your in your research here is uh between the very dutiful and let's say well orchestrated government response and then the very messy uh the very messy reality when you get down into the de the details where uh there might be like a good government office in place to help people find housing but when they actually go and knock on landlords' doors, the landlords won't won't rent to them. Uh, and 
I guess this uh, uh, this is interesting to me both as a way of of thinking about just how Germany is approaching this really fascinating and and well-intentioned experiment, uh, but also in in thinking about what the United States can learn uh, as we try, uh, at least from my perspective, we try to 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 articulate once again the rationale for why it's good for us to be a, a melting pot mosaic society that welcomes uh, uh, foreigners and immigrants and newcomers even when uh, it's difficult. Uh, so uh, I, I think let, let's listen uh, to the clip you, you, you mentioned, Abdul Rahman and Noura Al-Zghair uh, talking about their uh, view of their identity because I think they, they bring up some, some of these powerful questions about identity and belonging uh, uh, and, and blending into the community uh, that underlie a lot of the debates about immigration. I see myself in Deutschland, but I really want to be with my family. I want my children grow up with my family. I want, I want to stay with my family. Yeah. yeah. Because now me and, and my sisters, we are, for example, I am in Deutschland, my other sister in Turkey, my other sister, she is in Sudan. Yeah, we should stay together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I can tell you have a different you have a different opinion. Not totally. And the first uh, revolution, Nora said for the revolution, no. She said, and his family uh, also. She, uh, they said, okay, Bashar is a, is a bad president. His government is but a bad is regime. But we can't. But we can't resist. We can't load this revolution. <laughs> Uh, please let we li- uh, li- let we live, okay? I I live for this revolution, and I thought it's a best thing uh, happened to me in this life, okay? I can't live with this regime anymore. I can't smile in this in the intelligence faces anymore. I can't. I can't see a policeman or a military uh, army man from the in Syria, and I remember my friends who who did five five or four hundred thousand people who did in in this war, and I smile. Hello, welcome to Syria. I can't that. I can't. If the if this regime goes left, I can also in the Syria living. <laughs> About Deutschland, I found I find Deutschland a good country to live in. Okay. When we got our chances in the normal situation without uh, without pressure from the politica now every politica say the the Syrians are our problem. We are not a problem. The, uh, it's, if it's about Islam, there is more than four or five uh, millions Muslim Turkish in Deutschland. They are not a problem. There is uh, people from Kosovo, people from uh, Morocco, people from everywhere. They are not a problem. So we are just one million Syrian Muslim people here. We will not be a problem. If, if they uh, help us, we will, be, uh, we will help to build this, uh, this civilization. 
So mm-hmm. I want to be a part of, in this civilization if I can, mm-hmm. if I got my chance. I I try to educate myself, mm-hmm. I, to educate my wife, to educate my uh, children. This civilization with our mm-hmm. culture, with our uh, traditional, okay, not separated, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, if I got my chances in the normal way uh, and my good chances, I will live happy in uh, in Deutschland. I will I will let the the choice for my for my son to choose what you want to make. He he born here here in Deutschland, but he's Syrian, so he will he will make his choice. Yeah. So. Nora and Abdurrahman live in Kaufbeuren, which is this town in in Bavaria that I mentioned. They Kaufbeuren, the town, the churches, um, the local nonprofit refugee uh, refugee assistance group has done a ton to assimilate the refugees there. I was extremely impressed by the efforts in this small town. Um, but they still face challenges, and it was interesting to hear one of the volunteers in this group, Arbeitskreis Kaufbeuren, um, speak about Abdul Rahman. He said, Abdul Rahman is kind of a leader among the refugee community. He set up this Facebook group called Zusamen, which is um, helping connect refugees to. Uh, connect those who speak better German or better English with those who are newer, who don't really know what's going on, who need help finding an apartment or finding a doctor or whatever it is. Uh, Abdurrahman also helped set up that halal market to um, get the products that the community wanted. And so Jürgen Conrad, who is this volunteer that we spoke with, said that the the community in Kaufbeuren was a little bit suspicious of Abdul Rahman because they could tell that he was a leader. He's also a pious Muslim, and he doesn't shake hands with women the way that uh, many pious Muslims do. And uh, some of his friends have started started after they got to Kaufbeuren to not shake hands with women, for example. Um, there's been a move to build a new mosque in Kaufbeuren, and there's been a lot of resistance to that. So Noura and Abdurrahman are are happy to be in Kaufbeuren. They have this great apartment, better than the other apartments that I saw refugees living in. Um, but they're also they also feel that people are judging them. Noura said, you know, her her Arabic, sorry, her German. Well, and, th- and this is exactly. This is exactly the kind of of uh, of, of sort of ambiguous uh, assimilation that is at the heart of a lot of the tensions over immigrants. On the one hand, you want to see uh, resourceful initiative takers uh, who who help lead communities to integrate, and on the other hand, one can certainly see how a secular uh, liberal German would be, uh, you know, would look askance or find problematic to have someone who's who's practice of, uh, of religion might uh, might seem fundamentalist or uh, uh, at odds with a liberal secular society and I think that's 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 a really interesting tension at the at the heart of this uh, experience that that you're you're describing uh, so Lester 
listeners think that it's all uh, dreary and boring doing this kind of policy research, uh, let's uh, hear one last clip. Uh, this is from uh, Yazan Tariq and Oda, uh, a group of uh, young uh, Syrians that you met in uh, Berlin. I love Syria, you know, yeah. I love my homeland, I love my people, but now like the people are there, I'm not there, you know, like, so why I have to love walls? And so there's no memories, the memories with the people. So I, I belong to people, more to the land, you know? Yeah. So home, what does it mean home without yeah. people? Yeah. For example, if I go home, I don't find my mother, my sisters. Yeah. What's home? Here in Germany, work or education, it's main things here. Either you work or you, you, you study. There is no third option. You can work here, not for like money benefit. There is like social work, there is like volunteers work, and people really appreciate that. Okay. Really 100% appreciate that. Why you don't want to help others? Why you don't want to integrate with them? And there are also problems and also in their cases. Yeah. If you don't want to work, just learn how they do that. So yeah. that's why you get the education. If you want to do something, do it by yourself. Don't ask people. Language is the key for everything. Here in Germany, they work on time. Call them the machines. So Good. at the beginning, it was so hard, like because they are so like wake up at morning at six, brush my teeth, then I go to work from eight to nine. Then uh, after that, I back to home with the car from the same way, you know. <laughs> and then like I sleep again, and then I watch the same TV show like for one year. Here in Germany, they change their mind so quickly. They think about more mentality things than emotion things. They have the brain. It's more powerful than emotion. We are rubbish. We have emotion. I'm so emotional people. <laughs> exactly. So we, I don't find the base ground because common uh, ground. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's a nice uh, change of tone, Lily. Uh, what, uh, what should, we, what should we take away from these, uh, from these people, these last people we heard from? Yeah. So this was a group of young twenty-somethings from Damascus. Um, Wolf is a dancer, and he is one of one of the very, very few who have been accepted into university programs in Germany. Um, he's in the University of the Arts in Berlin, and these are his three friends from Damascus. They know each other uh, from before, mostly from from living in Damascus together. And here they were telling me about how different. Germans are from Arabs, um, you know, using some stereotyping, but certainly the way that Tarek describes the very robotic way of life that that uh, Germans lead and how it's been difficult for them to get used to that. But they're having a great time. Wolf has access to the studio in at the University of the Arts and Tarek is a rapper and um, Yazan makes beats and Odabashi is a is an illustrator. So they've all taken advantage of the opportunities that are available to them through civil society and through um, Wolf's connection at the university to to make their art. And they feel really motivated by the by the artistic and creative scene in Berlin. Well, Lily, thanks uh, for coming on the podcast. And uh, thanks especially for this fantastic uh, research, which I think uh, uh, is it's a great read. And uh, it's kind of heartening uh, for for those of us who feel like uh, these kinds of, of, of projects are possible and that um, social tensions resulting from immigration need not be fatal uh, to the social fabric of a host country. Uh, listeners who want to read the report can go to the uh, TCF website, 
and look for uh, the report. It's called Germany's Syrian Refugee Integration Experiment. Uh, the, the, the read is a lot livelier than that title. Uh, I encourage you to take a look at it at uh, uh, the Century Foundation's website. Uh, Lily, thanks again uh, for taking the time to come on our podcast. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And that's, uh, that's it for the episode 20 of the TCF World podcast. We look forward to talking to you next time. TCF World has been brought to you by the Century Foundation, a progressive public policy think tank that seeks to foster opportunity, reduce inequality, and promote security at home and abroad. For more information about the work that TCF does, please visit tcf.org or follow us on Twitter and Facebook.